Ali Double. Grab your pants. Hello, hello, and good morning, Fitzroy. Good morning, everyone. How good morning, <laughs> morning. Good morning, Penny. Melbourne. Yay. Good morning, Australia. Good morning, world. <laughs> yes. Welcome to TreeCR Wednesday Breakfast. Thanks for joining us here. What have we got coming up on the show today? We've got some beautiful guests. We've got a pretty packed show actually on this rainy Wednesday. Um, later, later on in the show, I think towards the end, um, eight twenty, we chat to Merlin Smith. She's a resident in Catherine, and she's talking to us about the toxic chemical. Um, in the firefighting foam and how it's affecting and how it's been communicated to the community. So that should be an interesting chat. And we've, mm, um, <laughs> and then uh, yes. we've got um, Warren coming in, which will be really good. They've got a conversation happening down in Northcote that's happening today and he's been working very busily up in Sydney. So he's bringing the yarn down here, which is a youth-led organisation. Wonderful. And he's coming into the studio. He's going to be oh, live We'll in meet studio. him live. We'll meet him in person. Fantastic. And I'll be speaking to Margaret Pistorius, who's a, a person who has done a demonstration, a, a, a pilgrimage to Pine Gap. And uh, she's going to be, she'll be on trial in the next couple of weeks, uh, second week of November, with other pilgrims who went. So we'll talk to her about uh, what she did and um, why she's on trial. And then following up, we'll get some legal information about the act that's being used to put them on trial with Matt Wilson from 3CR's Done By Law. I did have a little tune in. I tuned in on, was it Tuesday, Judith? And I yes. heard you doing some very detailed work there on 3CR, oh, Triple R, about Pine Gap, was it? Oh, that was last week. That was last week. Yes, I uh, did. Honey's yeah. tuned in all corners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don't have the best concept of time, but that's all right. No, no. It's a, well, I so I'm no. really looking forward to hearing this um, and hearing some more, Judith. You've been very busy and we'll give us a comprehensive yeah, but, rundown but of what's happening. Down, done by Law is on Tuesday night at 6 to 6.30 on 3CR, so I thought that's what you were referring uh, to. That's why I got totally confused. No, I'm sure I wasn't last night on yeah anyway. pardon me paddy will do that to you sometimes yeah he does he does yeah. um we've also got lachlan morrissey phoning in from brisbane to talk to us mm. a little bit about alternative facts what are they beliefs lies and politics <laughs> and just hopefully that'll segue in a little bit and get us a <laughs> bit of a current affairs um and i wanted to mention last week we were talking about bob brown and it was, yes. it was wednesday and the high court was um coming up with their verdict on um tasmania's anti-protest laws and that day uh, judith you shared with me on on facebook but um the high court bid to overturn tasmania's anti-protest laws so it was a huge success um and yeah so yay for you know that being overturned right it's so important yeah and, and i think nick also said something about you know, this is bigger than just this one particular mm. case in yeah. Tassie. It has implications across the country. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And just to, you know, background as well, I mean, Tasmania brought in this act in 2014, just sort of just brought it in, <laughs> you know, yeah. into the government. <laughs> uh, it's like no one really knew about it until Bob Brown went out and, you know, did a protest and then got arrested. Not a protest. He was filming in a, in a uh, Lapinia La um, forest. That's right, yes. um, And, yeah, then several people following that were arrested just for being on business premises um, and having a, you know, political or environmental or social stance or yes. an opinion. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, that was also mentioned by the UN rapporteur on the situation yeah. of human rights defenders, and he wrote a damning report, which I will mention later, about people's ability to protest mm. being curtailed. And he mentioned specifically the Tassie legislation. There were some in New South Wales and some that was being contemplated in WA. Yeah. But I don't think the WA, I don't know what's happening with it, I should well, say. From what I, uh, I've been listening a little bit about this case over the past week, and uh, apparently every state and territory other than WA uh, were backing Tasmania oh, on this one. Right. They, they wanted right. to see a victory. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. And WA yep. pulled out because Labor government or something. Yeah. It, it is. Right, it is a, came, came in and then pulled out of the... It, you know. It's another example of money before democracy. It's another example of this, this sort of neoliberal economic thinking where mm. business comes first and foremost, then people, then, you know, good order, then, you know, all those other things come after we've made those dollars. After the common good. After the, the good well, of the community. Is it a common good? Is is yeah. just uh, just whatever business, this is the point, that not all business is the common good. Oh, no, I wasn't we suggesting, I was saying oh, sorry. business can, <laughs> Nick. Oh, no, good point. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also related to that, of course, in, uh, Australia's taken its seat on the Human Rights Council at the mm. UN, and they've been taken to task for their behaviour. So that's also very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I hope they get held accountable. Will they, they're still going to be sitting on... Oh, no, they're on there for sure. But uh, I think they've had a big grilling and uh, I've read a report about that recently. So I'll get it up later if we want to have a look at that. That's yeah. good. Mm. Yeah. We need a good grilling we here do. and there. We, we have enough barbecue for that time. We've got a couple of grillings ourselves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and we'll go over now, um, over to the other side of the world. The um, Egyptian government um, has arrested 57 people. Um, th- that number has actually increased now. Um, for holding up a rainbow flag at a concert. Um, and Hope Mathumbu from um, Tuesday Breakfast, she speaks with Evo, a Toronto-based activist working with the Egyptian No Hate campaign, as well as so- solidarity with LGBTQI Egypt, um, to find out more about this. With me on the line for, on 3CR Community Radio, I have Evo. Evo is a Toronto-based activist working with the Egyptian No Hate campaign as well as Solidarity with LGBTQI Egypt. Hi Evo, thank you so much for speaking with us on 3CR Community Radio. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me as a representative. Thank you. Um, Well, can you tell us a bit about who you are and the work that you do? I am Evo, um, LGBT activist. I grew up back in Egypt. Uh, it was horrible growing up, like the revolution and everything. Uh, I think I was privileged enough, upper middle class, to be able to live in peace without any, uh, you know, without any violence, without any my name in the newspaper or in the national television as a gay. <laughs> or as an activist. Mm. What got you interested in working in LGBTQI activist spaces? What I see, what I see on television every day breaks my heart. Mm. What I see, how the people are treating my community is heartbreaking because it's not okay. What, what they are doing to us is not okay. Mm. And yeah, the, the situation there is horrible is terrifying and there was a crackdown a few weeks ago on the LGBT because on the LGBT community because few youth boys and girls raised rainbow flag 
in a concert, and the country used this as as something that they wanted to propagate, like to to make people away from the real issues in the country, so they can can make them busy with a media content, mm. and instead of actually telling them the reality, what they are facing, and the problems, and the economic problems, the challenges that we have. No, they are talking about the LGBT, which is which is weird for a developing country to have the headlines about LGBT community for two or three weeks. Mm. So, so yes, the, the 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 recent crackdown was sparked by a um, a concert that happened on the twenty second of September, uh, a Lebanese yeah. band called Mashru Leila. Mashra Leila. Mashra yeah. Leila, yeah. And the lead singer, um, Hamed Sino, uh, himself identifies as gay. Yeah. Actually, a, a brave person in the Middle East who came out a few years ago, and he started to crack down the taboos that we have in the Arab world. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's not his first time in Egypt. It's not his first time that people raised rainbow flags. But as a community... The government uses us few times, uh, or have used us few times, just to make people busy, mm. because they know that people hate us, so they can make them busy. And in the meantime, they will be able to, you know, uh, arrest another activist or, you know, uh, potential presidential candidate. That's what they do. That's what they do in Egypt. They mm. are using us as a subject or object to talk about and make people busy. Mm. So uh, to distract uh, Egyptians from the real issues of the country, you feel? Yeah, yeah. It's not the first time that they do this. Mm. But it was very strong, like stronger than ever. Mm. And so from the reading that I've been doing, uh, it seems that both Coptic uh, Christian Egyptians, as well as um, I guess the majority Muslim um, Egyptians, this is something that this is an issue in which uh, everybody has come out in full force. Very conservative people on all sides of religious backgrounds. Do you still feel, even though um, this is a distraction from other problems, do you still feel that? Uh, the response from the community uh, that there's still a lot of homophobia in Egypt in general? It's better. Of course, there is a lot of homophobia in Egypt, but it's better. But they don't give us, they are not allowing us to talk. Mm. There was um, there was an issue from the government a few days ago that bans homosexuals to be on television, which is... <laughs> It's it's scary. It's scary. We are no longer allowed to talk on television. Mm. Actually, the Council for Media Regulations has banned any LGBTQI discussions at all. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So we can't even discuss it. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be like, oh, this person is no longer gay and thanks God that he has been cured or, you know, or do not talk about it. Mm. Or it. That's what you're allowed to do. But like having an open uh, scientific or whatever, any kind of good conversation, this is not allowed. Yeah. And and what about the, you know, there was quite a few young people arrested 
some of them sentenced to lengthy prison terms. And, you know, there have been reports of all kinds of uh, abuses that are happening uh, to to some of these young people uh, who have been standing up, what is being done um, uh, to 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 try and uh, get maybe the freedom of these young people, or to document some of the human rights abuses that have happened to some of the people who are arrested? Okay, first of all, technically, homosexuality is not illegal in Egypt, or to be a transgender is not illegal in Egypt. They are using they are using. Uh, the debauchery law to attack us, basically, the debauchery and prosecution. So that's what they usually saying. But right now they are saying, oh, we are just, we are um, disrespecting the ethics and blah, blah, blah. They are, they are, they, they found their ways to attack us legally. What they are doing is anal examination and uh, few activists and lawyers were allowed to document these things by by talking with the prisoners themselves by by finding like by finding a real evidence they sometimes like the police in Egypt some of them are crazy they will take tape a video to their pride like oh i'm doing this to this freaking homophobe you know what i mean yeah so th- that's that's their pride they are happy to tape themselves doing this. That's proving that they are uh, man enough. Yeah, we have documentation, of course, and the activists in Egypt have documentations. A lot of NGOs have uh, have their lawyers been telling telling us what has been happening in the jail. Mm. By the way, 2012, a transgender was uh, a transgender woman was uh, was arrested and after she released she said she was arrested and they put her in uh, male prison was male prisoners she was sexually assaulted by the male prisoners and she was sexually assaulted by the police mm. <laughs> it's horrible so obviously there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of evidence that has been gathered. How do you think that the government can be held accountable? What do you think that uh, some of these activists can can do to try and get some sort of justice? International pressure. International pressure. International pressure. That's it. The thing is, the government will not be held accountable unless the foreign governments start to think about the people in the country not what would happen if this government falls down mm. because in Germany and the United States they don't want more refugees so they want to keep this regime sustainable for as much as possible mm. but this is actually getting worse it's not getting better in terms of economics in terms of freedom of speech it's not getting better National pressure. Use ha- use hashtags. Rainbow is not crime. Use uh, change your Facebook profile picture. We have a frame. If you type "No Hate Egypt" or "Solidarity with LGBT Egypt," you will find this this frame. Use it. Put pressure on your leaders. Put pressure on your 
you know, in Congress and parliaments and everywhere. Mm. Otherwise, it's not gonna, it's not going any better for us. Um, yeah, that that that's true. And in terms of the response from other, so I know that you're based in. In, in Canada, um, and uh, you know, you're part of the solidarity with LGBTQI Egypt, as, as, as well as the Egyptian No Hate campaign. Um, where else do these networks exist outside of Egypt? What has the wider response been like? Well, uh, solidarity with LGBTQ Egypt have uh, organized many times uh, before the Egyptian in front of the Egyptian embassies everywhere in the world, protests. So they have been on ground asking people like to go and protest for a few actions that has been happened before. And uh, no hate. We have our team here, like wide, like internationally in, in the United States, in Canada and in Europe. And of course, our team in Egypt. And of course, now their Facebook accounts are deactivated. We are not sure if they are okay or not. For us, like helping us is check our Facebook pages. And actually, we have fundraising uh, next week, actually in a few days, on 18th. On the 18th of October? Yeah, in California. Please check for more information on Solidarity with LGBTQ Egypt. Um, that's that's really great, um, Evo. Thank you so much for that. And if people, what are the websites? Uh, do you know the websites that people can go to, or is it just Facebook pages? We have our our own website, but we have taken it down because our team who did it in Egypt right now. So for our own safety, we we have taken it down. But we are available on Facebook. We are available on Twitter, on Instagram. Sure. And do you have a donate button and related PayPal account so that people can donate money to the cause? Uh, unfortunately, we don't have until this point. But of course, we will because we are hiring more people to work with us voluntary and we want to help our cause. So please check our Facebook and we will update all of this information pretty soon. Great. Um, yes, and we'll uh, have that updated in the uh, on our 3CR uh, page as well. Well, in terms of where you think this will go, obviously the um, the it's still in the media. This is still happening. What do you think? What is the response like from 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 the ground? Are people? hoping that it will get better or what do you think the next few weeks or months will bring out well it got better when the human rights watch released after a few days of the attacks the government started to step back so it got better international pressure works but we need we need more than that mm. it, it, it gets better if you ask me personally where the where like where it's going, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. You cannot expect what is going to happen, especially in a country like Egypt, mm. in, a, in a country that has a lot of challenges. But just they, we want them to allow us to exist. We are not asking like for marriage, like what you guys are doing in in Australia. It just we are not able to identify ourselves out loud. Mm. 
and and be visible it's a, you know it's a very important thing you know um it's quite scary that 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 even you're banned from even speaking on your own behalf in media or in public society i i, I totally understand unless you are not gay anymore <laughs> or you don't want to be transgender you you cured yourself or whoever cured you mm. <laughs> yeah but anyways thank you so much for speaking with us on uh 3CR community radio evo uh we'll have all of the information for our listeners and it would be great to check in with you again um to see how the cause is going and um yes all the best thank you thank you so much for having me thank you With me on 3CR Community Radio, I was just speaking with Evo. Evo is a Toronto-based activist working with the Egyptian No Hate campaign as well as solidarity with LGBTQI Egypt. If you are interested uh taking a little bit of action in solidarity with Egypt, there is currently a petition happening um to help uh the people who have been detained or arrested. Um these people are currently appealing appealing their sentences and uh this petition uh has been started by by activists from Egypt, the Middle East and North Africa. This petition is with all out. Yes, they're looking for your help and your support to demand that Egyptian authorities protect their citizens instead of hunt them down. We'll have all these details updated on the webpage of this program. Me 
talk the talk, but now I gotta walk the walk. I should speak louder than words, I guess that's how we're taught. It's time to change our wild ways. No more going on holidays. You know what I mean when I'm spitting like this. My verse is my accomplishments. On the street, starting shit, so I've been given a punishment. But now I'm waiting to be released like a bench cage up. She's sitting free, shutting up, they telling me so I can join my family. Has come up too many times, but this time I have crossed the line. My opportunities taken, but best turned on Satan. Need to change my life, no faking. My right here, strip naked. I'm out soon, gotta see parole. Hopefully they let me go. Fingers crossed, nobody knows. These last days been going slow. Hit the fast lane through a summer, so it's time to change here, pronto. I'm out soon, gotta see parole. Hopefully they let me go. Fingers crossed, nobody knows. These last days been going slow. Hit the fast lane through a summer, so it's time to change here, pronto. Please forgive me for all my sins Oh Lord, you know I don't do those things I did Cause when I was all alone I felt like no one was there It's like you picked up all my calls And you showed me you really care Oh Lord, can you please forgive me for all my sins listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast and that track was Oh Lord by Josh Kay and before that we heard from um, Hope Mathumbu talking to Evo, a Toronto-based activist Um, and there's been some updates to that in Egypt. Um, 70 people are now in jail with 20 sentenced from up to six months to six years so um, massive case and one that we should all keep a a close eye on um, as well out in Egypt a completely unfortunate occurrence of events and what were they saying, debauchery laws? But it was interesting to hear that homosexuality is not illegal in Egypt. Yes. And so yeah, they have to find other laws to, to bring people in. It's very, yeah, it's, it's very upsetting. What is, what is debauchery? What covers debauchery? It's very vague. <laughs> and it's Ge- vague. Generally, what I picture in my head when I think of debauchery is like 1920s ladies in like big dresses that like um, <laughs> swing things and their, their knickers. They do that like... Uh, <laughs> Legs and you can see their knickers. Like I'm the can, sure that's, can, like yeah, the like can, 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 can. Dance, that, yeah. I think that's debaucherous. But. I, th- I think of the Romans myself Rome. <laughs> <laughs> and their banquets. <laughs> right, so that's debauchery. Well, it, it, it's a broad, it's a broad church, I expect. And the yeah. debauchery law was introduced in Egypt in um, 1961. So. It's an old law. Yeah, it's an old law, and so they obviously fall back on that <laughs> to um, arrest people. Um, yeah. Well. We've got up next either Warren Roberts coming in or Nick. You're also going to be chatting to someone. Oh, possibly. If if not this week, then um, we'll get in touch with her next week. Um, this is uh, part of my ongoing theme on religion in politics. And it just keeps getting more fun week, week by week. We get deeper and deeper here on 3CR <laughs> Wednesday Breakfast. <laughs> Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle.
news, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. I hope you're waking up here on a lovely rainy Wednesday morning. You're tuned into 3CR Wednesday Breakfast with Kate, Judith, Nick and Patty. Uh, on the line now, um, somebody who I discovered uh, on my many adventures on Twitter uh, as part of the, the ongoing uh, Twitter conversations that, have, uh, uh, that were popping up. Um, oh, look, about some of the stuff that's going on with this ridiculous no campaign, um, I'm seeing a lot of Lyle Shelton from the Australian uh, Christian Lobby and he's uh, you know, saying some pr- pretty ridiculous stuff, but um, also just more of the... Um, more of the groups out there that are that are saying some things, but I came across somebody, um, called, uh, Dr. Dr. Jennifer. Uh, ooh, I don't have your last, last name, Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. Wilson. Dr. Jennifer Wilson, um, <laughs> whose uh, blog NoPlaceForSheep.com um, recently published. Uh, you recently published a, a a blog piece on um, what has been. Uh, Go, well, some, some of the hypocrisy of uh, some of the people that are involved with this, you know, sanctity of marriage debate, um, but maybe aren't so sanctimonious in their own lives. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, now, oh, let's first just get your take on on this whole debate because you're um, you've you've got a PhD in uh, psychotherapy. Am I right? Uh, no, well, I ha- no, I have a PhD in um, in creative writing actually, ah. but I also worked as a psychotherapist as well. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so let, let's hear your take on on what's been going on with the with the um, with this vote, ridiculous, the yeah, with the with the yeah, vote and yeah. the, well, the I, moral I nonsense. I don't like to think of it as a vote, really. From my mind, it's uh, just a postal opinion poll. Um, that really has no standing whatsoever. Um, there are no safeguards in place to ensure that it's properly conducted or that its results have any um, weight at all. Um, I think it's um, extremely intrusive and um, really uh, does not respect human, the human rights of people at all. And um, giving this... Uh, the, the argument that every Australian has a right to have a say is um, really quite unforgivable because we don't have a right to have a say about other people's sexual and intimate relationships. Well, it, it um, does, basically, where I'm coming from. It does seem to contradict the, one of these sort of fundamental um, ethoses in, in democracy, which is um, that although, you know, some people think of it as rule of the majority, one of the, one of the sort of um, caveats to that is that the majority is, is not meant to be able to vote to oppress minorities within their community. And this is sort exactly. of what we're doing. It is. It is exactly what we're doing. And I think that some of... I mean, you know, if you deconstruct all the no arguments, there's not one that has any validity at all. It all boils down to um, a kind of I don't like gay people argument. There's nothing concrete. There's no substantial uh, reason why there shouldn't be marriage equality. But the no case is, is propagated by people who are, well, to my mind, homophobic. 
Now, yesterday uh, I saw a, a story blowing up on the internet a little bit, and I suspect we're going to hear uh, more of it over the, the coming week or so, although I'm sure many people will just happily ignore this, even though it seems that... Uh, the hashtag Me Too campaign and uh, global eyes on Harvey Weinstein have, you know, there's this sort of parallels with this that has been going on. So what what came out yesterday is that um, Deputy Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce uh, has, um, there seems to be some kind of extramarital affair uh, potentially going on. We're not quite sure. He might have been kicked out of home. He's married with uh, four children. Um, in fact, famously, I think it was about six years ago, uh, he said that um, he needed to stop gay marriage to protect his daughters so that they can have a future in which they can get married safely or something. And, you know, it's this idea that, that marriage is safety for women and, and, mm. and, and for men it's, I don't know, some asset building, I guess. Um, but this is, this is, well, this is, this has come out from, from Barnaby Joyce. And, um, have you got a, a few more details? What, what do we know? What's been going on with our great moral crusader who seems to uh, not be able to crusade in his own bedroom? Well, it's it's kind of interesting because we don't know an awful lot. Um, um, one of the reasons that we don't know an awful lot is that there there is a kind of what is known as a convention in the press gallery um, that uh, private lives of politicians are private. In, in other words, the press gallery do not pursue any allegations of illicit affairs and so on and so on. Um, now, for mine, this is a very questionable convention because what happens is that it makes any scrutiny of the parliamentary workplace pretty much impossible. If journalists aren't willing to do the necessary investigations and politicians know they're safe from scrutiny, no matter what their sexual activities are, they're at liberty to conduct affairs with employees in circumstances that are far from equal. Now, in Barnaby's case, he's the Deputy Prime Minister, so the power differential between himself and his staffer is huge. Um, if you take the point, which I do, that consensual sex requires a modicum of power on both parts, it's really arguable about whether or not the staffer of a Deputy Prime Minister in a workplace like Parliament House even has that modicum of power. The other part of it that I'm really um, kind of interested in is that I, I don't know of any other workplace in Australia other than Parliament that has an agreement with journalists that employees' sexual lives are private and won't be reported on. So, you know, the questions I'm asking at the moment is why are we giving our parliamentarians this protection from scrutiny, um, particularly when we know from, uh, well, the most recent Weinstein um, scandal that privacy or people not not saying anything is the one thing that allows this kind of uh, abuse to continue in workplaces of all kinds. Um, so really, I think we have to start asking why do we give our politicians this kind of protection, which is available to nobody else in any other workplace. And this is also, I mean, you might be listening along at home in your car, in your shower, wherever you happen to be and thinking, well, but, you know, it's their private lives and surely their private lives should be private. And perhaps in some cases they should. But this is somebody, uh, generally a federal MP, is representing 
about 100,000 Australian voices in their electorate. They, in our system of representative democracy, it is their job to represent these people in Parliament. And what we're seeing now with this uh, with this debate on, on whether or not people of a same-sex uh, attraction should be able to access a secular Australian institution of marriage, I mean, it seems absurd that we're even having that debate because we are going directly into these people's private lives with laws that will affect them. Um, and then and then the same people that are pushing these campaigns are asking, oh, but don't look at my private life, don't scrutinise mine, but I'm going to legislate yours. Absolutely. This is, this is, this is the core of it. And particularly in the case of Barnaby Joyce, who has taken a very strong no position in the marriage equality postal opinion poll. Um, and the reason that he says he takes this very strong no position is that uh, marriage equality will undermine the sanctity of heterosexual marriage. Well, you know, it seems to me if Barnaby Joyce is, is having affairs in the workplace or anywhere, um, he's doing a pretty good job himself of undermining the sanctity of marriage because he's not abiding by the vows that he took and he's not even abiding by the definition of marriage, which is in our Marriage Act, which, is, you know, which states that marriage is exclusive between yeah, uh, a man yes. and a woman. But I think, uh, as you said at the beginning, we don't really yet know, know lots about it. So we're, I guess we're speculating about if that were the case, then these are the issues. Yes, there's definitely a lot of... Yeah. Mm. The problem with that is because the press gallery has a convention of not going anywhere near politicians' private lives, we, we, we will never know. We, we will never Nobody's, hear about it. Yes. So we're in a kind of circular thing where no, we mm. don't know and no, we'll never know because journalists won't ask. Dr. Jennifer Wilson, thank you for um, joining us and having a chat to us about this today. And hopefully we will find out more uh, in, in coming days. But what will it change? I mean, <laughs> we'll just see it ongoing. Hmm. We'll see it ongoing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Wilson, whose blog, noplaceforsheep.wordpress.com, you can check out. And also on Twitter, at noplaceforsheep, one word. You are tuned to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. I hope you are waking up very well here in rainy Melbourne or wherever you may find yourself and your lovely ears. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City limits. And Margaret, are you there? Yes, it's lovely. To, and, and I think, I, I mean, I'm talking to you from, is it sunny Cairns this morning or are you having a bit of rain up there? Yeah, I know. I think it's pretty sunny. We call, we call it Gimoy up here. Cairns is now called, we call it Gimoy, the land of the Yudinji people. Wonderful. Oh, that's great. So it's beautiful in Gimoy land this, land this morning. There is. It's beautiful. There's a lot of birds. Ah, <laughs> lovely. Well, we'll listen to see if we can hear any of them because we do like birds here on Wednesday <laughs> breakfast. 
So, Margaret, you've had a long involvement in social change activism. I noticed in 1989 you were part of the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group, which blockaded ships carrying Malaysian rainforest timber. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Of course, I lived in Melbourne, and that's where I started as an activist with a lot of the Melbourne crew, many of whom are still active because that was such an amazing experience back then, and we learned so much about uh, how to run campaigns and how to do creative nonviolence and uh, how to build moral courage, really, so that we could do stronger and stronger things as we age. Yes, and the word moral courage is... Uh so important, I think. So, and and you're a member of the uh, Peace Pilgrims now, I think, called the Pine Gap Pilgrims. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So the Pine Gap Pilgrims is a name we've given the group that's been charged under the Special Defence Undertakings Act, Defence Special Undertakings Act, and um, but we were we're part of a set of affinity groups uh, who do. We gather sort of every year, and sometimes we do actions in our own places, but we gather and we pretty much oppose the US alliance um, in different forms that it takes in Australia, either in the exercises it runs down at Rockhampton or the, the base in Darwin or Pine Gap in Alice Springs. So, you, you're, pri- it takes. so you're primarily uh, an anti-war, faith-based group, is that right? That's right, anti-war, faith-based group, anti-military, yeah. Yes. Uh, we, you know, we're also connected with the, those in Melbourne who do anti-war stuff around Lockheed Martin, you know, the group that's trying to get uh, the military-industrial complex out of universities, for example. Or we're connected with um, groups in Darwin trying to, to reduce the size of that or the influence of that new U.S. base there in Darwin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Margaret, you're also a viola player. And, yeah. And well, one I... usually associates viola players with very refined environments of chamber... Well, I do at least, anyway, chamber music and concert halls. But last year, on September 29th, if I'm correct, you took your viola out to the desert. I did, I did, and it was probably just after I'd done chamber music concert because I, I, I am in a chamber music group that does a couple of concerts every year and I still play concertos with a small orchestra. So, yes, I am very, very, very refined. But last year I, took <laughs> I could viola, tell. <laughs> last year I took the viola into the desert and I was with a young fellow, Franz Dowling, who is also studying music at Brisbane, at, at, at Griffith in Brisbane, and he um, he and I, he had his guitar uh, and I and my viola, and we went to uh, a mountain just near Pine Gap, and we went to play a lament as an expression of acknowledgement of death and destruction that occurs at Pine Gap military base. And, and, and sorry, when you say that, what kind of death and destruction are you talking about? It's not happening in the base, is it? No, well, in this day and age, as you know, everything is very decentralised from radio operations to graphic design to military destruction. Everything's decentralised. We can work from home to do our military destruction these days. And, and so what course, sort of military destruction are you talking about? Well, the U.S. have a, a, what they used to call a spy base there, and it's a signals intelligence base, 
and it greases the military operations that the U.S. are running in Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Somalia, etc., etc. And what we see there are the signals coming in, um, but also some of the decision-making gets made. It's a type of military bunker, if you like, where the, the generals and the, um, the colonels make decisions about who, who and what gets bombed. So the identification of targets occurs there. The, uh, the information comes in about which assassinations will occur in uh, Yemen or and uh, and I understand in some ca- in you know many cases these are countries we're not at war with but you know intelligence is being no, gathered and people targeted. We don't understand under what international law these things occur. This is one of the strange things. There's no discussion. Uh, the lawyers, the human rights lawyers, who are asking many questions about what is going on because. You cannot put this in any category anymore. The U.S. haven't been in a declared war since the 1940s, and yet clearly they're at war and they are militarising heavily. Um, And what we know there is that there's a transformation of activity there, so that it's no longer just signals collection or intelligence collection, but it's actual military operations. And they they even call that in their papers now, and they they even have that in their classified information. This is for military operations. And what it means for Australia is that we're totally hardwired into the U.S. military-industrial complex. I mean, we're also hardwired through the way we buy their equipment. We buy the most expensive equipment in the world of the U.S. And we, we because we're entwined and hardwired, we no, have, no longer have any sovereign choices or independence about decisions we make about war. So, Margaret, I want to take you back now for, I think many people listening will, I mean, some I'm sure will have been to Pine Gap, but many will not have. So I want to take you back now to September last year. Can you describe exactly what you, how many people went with you to to be engaged in the lament? Yeah, there were five of us in our group, and there was one other person in another group on another day. So we're all on trial in November. Okay. So we went. We so, went so, there sorry, that just night. sorry to interrupt, but so just the five that went with you on that day. Yeah. 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 So we. It was a beautiful evening, as it often is in the desert, and uh, with a beautiful sky full of stars and the moon starting to rise, and we. It's in the McDonald Ranges, so it's in a, in sort of brushy, rocky country, but there are there are roads along the valleys, and Pine Gap is in fact in this strange valley in the middle of where you can't see it because it's surrounded by hills. They're not really mountains, but they're hills, and there are roads in through the gaps in between the hills, and so we went in through one of those. One, there's different ways in. So we went in through one of those ways, cutting across the country and moving up and through the country and up around the hills. And we're trying to stay out of the way of the radar uh, and the infrared because they are tracing people and there were protesters in the area at that time. So they knew that people may try mm-hmm. and come in. but Or they're checking that all the time anyway. But we... Um, we walked and walked for many hours, and at one stage I couldn't even figure out which way was up because I was. So you know, tired. I was wondering about that because I have great difficulty with direction, so I was admiring <laughs> you for even, you know, trying to get to the location you were aiming to get to. How long did you walk? I think it was three or four or five hours. We, I, we were led by a young New Zealander 
Tim Webb, who, you know, is really good across terrain. And, um, you know, I'm with the Brisbane Catholic workers who are my friends and, you know, three younger men and one older man. And we, um, that's older than me and younger than me. The young men were really, you know, so helpful. And so if I, if I got, I got quite tired. I was quite fit, but I was quite tired. And I, uh, you know, they were carrying my viola and my amplifier and had to hold my hand so that I wouldn't... Um, at one stage, I couldn't figure out even which was up because the road, the, the ground was so uneven. And, it went, and then at one stage, we just came back and decided to follow um, a much more sort of direct route um, because so, it was too difficult. <laughs> yeah, this what is an this adventure. Is, what an adventure. And so were you able to perform your lament? You were there to perform that lament. Were you able to do it? Well, we, we, we got to very near the place and we, we started to walk up the last hill and get my viola out of its case. And as we kept walking, we could hear the rumble of police cars in the distance because the rumble was diesel. And we, we had to move very quickly up this last hill and, and we got to the top of the hill and I was playing, we were playing the lament as we moved up the hill actually in the end until we got to a point at the top of the hill or near the top of the hill where you could see down into Pine Gap and it was incredible to see these domes mm. and antennas and, and to consider the death and destruction that they are wreaking on the world. And there's also, of course, the surveillance aspect where they are tuning in on every one of us that this phone call, every phone call, um, every keystroke, they say, gets collected there and uh, mm-hmm. analysed. So it's a place of great intrusion um, on the privacy of ordinary people, but also great intrusion on those people that they organised to bomb. Margaret, we're uh, unfortunately, we don't have a lot more time, but that was fantastic to uh, to hear about what you did. And um, and we're going to now have Matt Wilson come on, and right. he'll talk more about the case and uh, you know the the legal perspective. But I'm sure our listeners will would like to find out more information about the project, about what you've been doing, about the trial. Um, so where can they go to get that information? Hashtag close Pine Gap is our hashtag, so use that on Twitter or hashtag Pine Gap Pilgrim, Pilgrims. But if you go to hashtag closepinegap.org or closepinegap.org, www.closepinegap.org, you'll get some good information there on our website and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 3CR is actively advocating for equality in the lead-up to the National Postal Survey on same-sex marriage. As such, we will not give airtime to the No campaign on the basis that it is prejudiced, homophobic and harmful to LGBTIQ people and our families. Our community may hold different views on marriage as an institution, yet we agree this postal survey is a political stunt designed to appease prejudiced and homophobic views. 3CR will continue to advocate for equality in all areas. At this particular time in our political climate, we need to ensure that our members, friends and colleagues know that 3CR is a safe space for all our community. Ten past eight this morning on 3CR Breakfast Wednesday uh, and heading for a top of 18 degrees today with those showers easing off as the day progresses. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Wobbly. Wobbly old. <laughs>
Hey, hey, maybe that's a good just moment to just say 3cr.org.au. If you want to donate to 3CR and help our wobbly studio, get onto it. <laughs> Any chance. Any chance. And you're not wrong, Nick. It is a wobbly old studio. I'm sure you heard not long ago a couple of screws going in the background, always working and maintenance needed here at 3CR. Real facts. Hashtag. Real facts. Hashtag. That's it. And speaking of real facts, we have Lachlan Morrissey on the line. Are you there, Lachlan? Yeah, I'm here. Good day. Good day. Thanks for waking up and being here with us on Wednesday breakfast. Um, you came across the radar. Oh, no I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Beautiful. You came across the radar of um, us here at the studio when it was re- a piece of your work. Alternative facts do exist. Belief, lies, and politics got republished actually in the conversation from the Griffith Review. Um, from Pearls of Populism, the 57th edition. Um, And your article really serves to remind us all that in politics, facts have never been what they are in science. Um, And you really drive home this message and explore it within your article, starting out um, with Spires introducing the press to Trump's inauguration and sort of, I don't know, falsities or statements being very bold in there. But I was hoping you'd begin by telling us um, scientific versus political propositions or facts. What are the differences there? Yeah, so essentially my contention in the article was that uh, there are two sorts of spheres of discourse, I guess we'd say, uh, academically. But essentially there are just two different ways of speaking about um, what is true. And in, in politics, what I was what I was driving at was um, in politics, it's it's often facts are treated in in a much less rigorous way than in science because simply because often the uh, evidence that you can use for a political fact is often a lot weaker than what can you like you can use for a scientific fact. So in science, there's this sort of idea that things ought to be reproducible, that things uh, I mean experiments ought to be reproducible, that only certain data can be admitted as uh, valid. So you can't use, for instance, uh, anecdotal data in, in, in a scientific experiment because anecdotal data is prone to all sorts of errors of uh, perception, you know, errors of memory, all sorts of human errors. And so science really t- tries, to take, uh, tries to take truth out of the human sphere as much as it can. I mean, there are problems with that, obviously, but that's, that's the ideal. Whereas in politics, that's not the case. Politics is a thoroughly human... Um, human-driven and uh, human-centric uh, endeavour. And so the kinds of uh, evidence that one can use in, in politics is often really, really different. So, you know, someone feeling like... For instance, I use the example of, uh, I use the example of Pauline Hanson saying that Australia is being swamped by whichever population she wants to say, well, it's being swamped at the moment, whatever will get her vote. Um, and... That might feel true for some people if you're living in a community where, say, a certain population's, uh, a certain ethnic group's population has grown in the in the last year. It might feel true if you're in that community because, according to your subjective subjective experience, that is true. There are a lot, are a lot more um, uh, different uh, people of different ethnicities around. But to generalise that to say, oh well, therefore the country's being uh, overrun or infested or, or whatever horrible language. Uh, Pauline Hanson uses. Um, that's that's where the term fact. She might say that it's a fact that uh, Australia is being overrun, 
but obviously that's not good. That's not good argument. Um, and so there's a, there's a fundamental difference in in what uh, a fact is in science and what a fact is in politics, and it comes down to evidence. Um, I think. And there's been a big play within the media and how the media handles, say, Pauline Hanson stating such an outlandish claim, um, very pro- provocative, mm. say, how, I don't know, the war that led us to in Afghanistan, the war to find of, first of all, the excuse to go and look for weapons of mass, destru- mass destruction, which turned out to be a bit of yeah. a falsity, falsity, but how we handle, say, Trump is yeah. very much focusing in on that one phrase or one sentence or one outlandish fact rather than drawing back and having a look what are they actually angling at what is going on here and sort of how we play yeah and that was sort of sorry no you're right and how we play malcolm turnbull Um, very much is we managed to draw out a little bit more than what we do on a pauline hansen um especially in our media yeah yeah, and and so yeah, and that was sort of the main the main contention of the article. The um all, all the stuff about facts was sort of building up towards this idea that yeah, often in the often in the media, uh, it's Trump and well these populist politicians, whoever you want to call a populist politician. I guess the media sort of decides who they call populist. Um, but you know, Trump, uh, Pauline Hanson, um, Duterte uh, in I think. In the Philippines, Philippines. Um, and yeah, he um, those those sorts of people they're sort of treated as irrational, as if as if what they're saying they don't know what they're saying, what they're saying doesn't make sense because it's pretty easily falsified. Any you know a lot of the claims they make mm. are pretty easily falsified. So for instance, Sean Spicer saying obviously at the behest of Trump, um, who is is appears to be an egotist of a sort of magnitude <laughs> defies belief but um at at the behest of trump sean spicer said this was the biggest and the most attended inauguration ever mm. um when in fact you know photographic evidence evidence from the public transport record um all sorts of all sorts of uh different sources of evidence sort of contributed to the idea that pro- it probably wasn't and all those things are verifiable. Yeah. And so but, what do you think was the... And un- then the media will... The media will... Yeah. Yeah, so the media obviously jumped on that, and um, a certain but, particular media jumped on it and was saying how ridiculous it is and ran with that and sort of created a fireball of, yeah. I don't know, anti-Trumpism, which really put a wall up between yep. America, it seems, pro and against, and drove mm-hmm. that message. And it was seemed like a very strong campaign for the Trump supporters and Trump um, White House mm-hmm. new politicians to sort of stick to their guns and say this what do you think was the strategy behind that can you see something now in retrospect and drawing back from that campaign i think i think it's it's part of the sort of self-aggrandizing uh strategies that trump uses you'll see time and time again he he talks about himself as if he were a new new kind of president or perhaps not a new kind of president but definitely a president that the likes of which uh, uh, America hasn't had for a few years, so he, he compares himself to Reagan all the time. Mm. Um, when he's not, he's not, you know, probably not at all like Reagan. But but he he always, he tries to sort of present himself in much grander terms than than uh, than than he actually uh, acts. Yeah. <laughs> and you see this, you see this with populists as well. You see them putting themselves, I think, in in a pretty grand narrative. Yeah. Um, the fake it till you make it. And, and talking about massive reforms level. or. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And talking about, you know, returning the country to a previous state when everything was fine and everything was um everything was, was okay for everyone. So um yeah, I think that would that would be that would be part of the strategy. But the point is the point I make is in fact you find any old politician does this. It's not it's not particular to who's labelled a populist and who's not. They all have just as much disregard for the truth. Um, and they all, they're all quite happy to bandy about lies to sort of prop themselves up. And you saw John Howard doing it, where John Howard talked about, let's put mateship in the Constitution. He's definitely not called a populist, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim he's a populist at all. But what you have to understand is he would have told many lies, and I, none come to mind at the moment, but he would have told many lies and he would have fabricated many things. And he would have talked about returning the country to this previous state where everyone's mates and um, and and so on. Yeah, he did uh, run that. So narrative. these sorts of strategies aren't particular to populists. No, but they've just gotten a bit more outlandish, um, and obviously playing against yeah. Colin Hanson's playing against the political stature and saying that it's old and stale. I'm with the people. I'm for the people. I mm. break down the political correctness. Thank you. I'm sorry, I could chat to you, Lachlan, for a long time talking about this and dissecting it. We haven't managed... Very interesting topic. <laughs> yeah, we haven't managed to um, even get to the <laughs> most of your um, article or what you were trying to dissect and discuss there, but thank you for having the time and making the time to chat to no, us here on 3CR. No, it's a pleasure. I'm happy to talk any time. You're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast with Paddy, Judith, myself and Nick. Um, well, taking that conversation from science and political facts, here's some scientific facts. <laughs> um, a recent national crisis um, was broadcast on Four Corners about toxic chemicals used in firefighting foam across 18 Australian defence bases. <laughs> Um, the chemicals known as PFAS, per- and polyfluoroalkali substances, are highly toxic and have been used in a number of applications, including nonstick repellents, cosmetics, paints, all sorts of things. But um, the mass use of the chemical in this firefighting foam has caused an environmental disaster contaminating um, waterways and bore water. Um, yeah, like I said, near 18 defence bases. So um, some areas that have been highly affected, Williamtown near Newcastle in New South Wales, um, Oakey, which is west of Brisbane, and um, Catherine, uh, three hours south of Darwin. So we have Merlin Smith, who's a local resident from Catherine. She joins us this morning. Hi, Merlin, are you there? Hi, Kate. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for getting up early. I know it's it's before seven <laughs> or just. No, that's okay. I'm not <laughs> sleeping that well anyway. Oh, yeah, fair enough, actually, with this issue. Um, we Let's just get straight into it. I'm really interested to know what you as a community um, or as an individual have heard. Like, what have the government authorities informed on oh, how have they informed you of this issue? Well, it's really difficult, actually. Um, I'm, I don't think that everyone's being informed in a sort of consistent way. We haven't all gotten um, information in our letterboxes, and, you know, that's really the way. If you want everyone to be informed, it's really got to come to them. And, not, um, you know, we've been having to sort of chase up the in, when the information sessions are or what information's around. Our um, local Catherine paper does their best at, you know... Um, reporting on these things and chasing them up, even for the testing that's been happening over the um, you know last six to eight months. Our Catherine Times has been, been pretty vigilant at making sure that Parham Water and the Catherine Town Council are as transparent as they can be about releasing results to the public because 
um, you know, in in the first stages of this, when we were told about it, we weren't really even told about it. You know, I, I vaguely remember around November last year hearing little bits about, you know, this 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 chemical had been found around base, and so you know, it's a military base. Of course, there might be sort of some chemicals mm. that would be surrounding that, but um, to slowly have it dawn on you that no, and then seeing articles every now and then, oh, the water is poison, and then looking into that and sort have of asking... Been, yeah, have you been told by um, some official to not drink the town water? Is that something that you... No, well, initially at the um, first meeting I attended at the Catherine Golf Club, they this was an information walk-in session that ended up... Um, being held by Coffee Consultancy, which is contracted by the RAF to um, investigate the, mm. I guess, the situation. Um, the contractors that have been held these information sessions, but um, the amount of sort of people in suits outnumbered the, the residents mm. um, many a time. They were really poorly advertised. I just think it's it's almost strategic how they've um, um, there's almost sorry it's it's hard to sort of just speak to one sort of little element because yeah. I first found out I I've, I'm a single mother of two kids so when I heard something's in the water I just thought well geez I better start buying water um, ask neighbours ask friends are you buying water yet and they said oh no we've sort of we shouldn't have to buy water you know nothing's nothing's wrong with the water and um, I think I attended the first information, second information session because the first one happened in November and that might have just been the people um, in properties next to base that even heard about the mm. particular meeting. And then, so when I attended in March, I'd um, read up a few things to do with um, contamination and had seen that it had happened overseas in a few different areas and there were sort of pathways to um, decontaminating in terms of, okay, they provided water filters, they they um, launched these health studies that were funded by the polluters themselves, Dupont, and I thought, oh, okay. So you know, it's not as um, dire as it seems right now and in my situation. Merlin, can I just quickly ask? And where does the town water come from? You were saying yesterday, yes, yeah, from our the town water. Um, we rely on our Catherine River, but we've got two bores during the dry season that we can come to depend on, just while the river's low and the bacteria content um, increases, we rely on these two bores. Those bores have been identified to have high levels of PFAS, and so we've been um, using them for the, you know... For years. For years, for yeah, years. Like they've, prob- they've known this for, they've said, six years or so, um, and yeah, you've been using that bore water. On your yeah, own I'm back, have you April. now gone to buy bottled water? Is that... Is that an yeah, initiative? Have been, you haven't been told to do that, but you've gone and done it. Is that right? Well, their, their handouts from the first meeting of information session said to reduce prolonged exposure. And no, they weren't sure of the health effects, but as a precaution, all people must minimise their exposure to, from all contaminated sources. So, I have so many questions for you. You were saying yesterday that um, the pool, has the pool local pool shut down? Is that right? Yes, it was closed about... Um, Two weeks ago now, because the council bore that supplies it is, um, I think, as they top up the pool, evaporation would happen, such and such. They were testing it, and yet they um, weren't, didn't have. I'm um, just, uh, um, yeah, um, 
They were testing it and it wasn't closed for testing. So nine days later, the pool was closed. It was high levels. There had been people swimming in it for the last, you know, nine days up until then. I just figured, you know, we have pool signs that say closed because we're testing the chlorine and yet we're testing for a persistent organic pollutant like PFAS. Mm. And, you know, and it's really important when we don't know how how high our blood levels are and how long we've been drinking this and at what levels. Yes, what, it's very disturbing. It. We've only been diluting it since April. Um, you know, that's not treating, that's not decontaminating water. No. That's just diluting a, a toxic chemical. So just the fact that not everyone knows about this, mm. let alone not enough people know about it to then make have the choice whether they want to buy clean, uncontaminated water from Woolies because that's our only option. If we're living well, well the other thing is it impacts people who don't have lots of cash as well. So oh, it's yet definitely. another example well, of, yeah. of inequality, you know? Oh, definitely. I'm totally, um, I'm really upset that not only has information been sort of withheld and selectively, you know, reported, that um, access to clean water you know basic basic right i'm sorry to interrupt but i'm just so you're saying this is coming from it's an australian military base is that correct oh yes um currently there to protect us yeah that's what i that's what i think their defense and now seeing how um seeing how wrong this is being handled like if it was a failure to act in 87 when they didn't sort of take on board Yep. The information they had at the time about mm. it should never reach stormwater. It should never reach groundwater. No. And look, and the other thing you said is about the fact that overseas precautions have been put into place, oh, so yes. it is known. This is not unknown. And yes. here, pe- they haven't been. I mean, I think that's a huge discrepancy, and uh, Australians are being treated badly here. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very deeply concerned when I drive through town, and this our town. Since the 21st of August has been on water restrictions for the, like water restrictions have been applied to a township of 12,000 for the first time in Australian history, not due to our water usage, but due to the fact that the RAF has poisoned our water supply, and we now to re- reduce our use by 20%, so Pound Water can continue to provide a service by diluting the water, so the PFAS levels come under the Food Standards Australia guidelines. Um, so we're actually enabling by reduce by reducing our use, we're enabling pound water to keep giving us poison water. And um, Merlin, we, we're coming to the end of the um, the show this morning. Um, so much more to say. Just really quickly, um, you were saying yesterday. Do you are you aware if like the indigenous community and population in Catherine are being informed as well? Um, well, just talking to my neighbours, they were, they weren't aware of it um, when the water restrictions came in. I was sharing some water with them and asking if they knew about it, and whether they, you know, just take some water for your babies and stuff. Because you know, going through town, there's people like our sprinklers. Sorry, we're on water restrictions, but we've got sprinklers that are from these toxic boards irrigating our whole town. It's incredible. And, um, it's just, I'm just beyond not, yeah, yeah beyond recognition because. We, um, I see people filling up their water bottles. You know, they're not meant to be drinking that water. There's no signs anywhere. Yep. There's no signs even around our town saying there's PFAS detected here, there's testing happening. Like, there needs to be... The council sprinklers need to be turned off. They are poisoning... Most of the time, countrymen and Indigenous people are in those parks. They rely in 40-degree weather on those sprinklers to fill up their water bottles. We don't have 
access to clean water at the moment. So. Yeah, Merlin, you have our absolute absolute best wishes we are going to be following this and the more media that can jump on top and let's get some let's get some action happening across australia up in catherine and all other communities around australia that have been affected we are at the end of wednesday brekkie 3cr with patty judith myself kate and nick um it's been wonderful talking to you this morning merlin thank you so and much all our um all our guests um next month it'll be nearly 12 months since the first test revealed PFAS was in our water and only 50, 59 properties are being supplied water. The rest of us, it's, uh, whether everyone even knows about it or not, Thanks, you know, Merlin. We'll, we're drinking water, having to buy it ourselves. We'll be checking that out for sure. Thanks very much, everyone. Thanks for listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Bring your umbrella if you're in Melbourne.